listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we're dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you're listening, we hope this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. Two weeks ago, uh, about the ones hell could not overcome. And I'm going to stay on this for a little bit. And it's like the Lord set me on a track and said, I want you to stay here for a while. The, the vision of our church, you can see it uh, listed in many different places. The vision of our church is building strong people and building strong churches. And the Lord gave us that, uh, gave that to me, I think probably going on three years ago, two and a half years ago. And I knew, I knew it was a word from God. I knew what he spoke to me. I knew it was from him and I still know it's from him. And so the whole idea about building has really begun to, to unfold even more. Even this year, God's begun to speak to me things about, about building. And there's an element of growing involved with God's people, but there's also an element of building God's people and building the temple of God and building his house. And so there's a process that's involved with those things, but I'm interested in being involved in God's process. How about you? If God says something is important, uh, then I want to do the thing that God says is important. That's where I'm at. How about you? Amen. And I want to, I want to read this. Um, I don't want to go into the details of who it is because, uh, don't worry, it's a good thing, by the way. Uh, just because, well, just because I don't want to. But I do, want to, I do want to read this. This is a man of God who I, I follow on, loosely, I'll say, I follow on Facebook and a couple other platforms and I know him to be a, an apostle of our day. Um, and he, what's interesting is over the years, he has given words over the last two years, three years, he's given so many words that he'll give them, and, and Liz is my witness, he'll give them, and I literally said nearly word for word the exact same thing that day, the day before. To, it's like unbelievable how how in sync I am with this person. Although when I listen to him, some things doctrinally I don't particularly agree with. And so that's why I just choose to just draw from him and I'm not necessarily advertising his ministry. But this is a really awesome word for God, from God through him. He says, there is another layer coming in the apostolic movement. The firebrands are arising. They will be unconventional reformers who will build explosive kingdom-based ministries and structures. Their flow will be authentic and their sound unique. They will challenge what we thought we knew and march to the beat of the Father's heart. They are emerging, oh yes, and they hate religion. They won't even tolerate the scent of it. They are raw, relational apostolic reformers. I see them moving as the circuit riders of old. They are stewarding the move of God in multiple places. They will fan the flames and revival hotspots, but their aim is to build a people. I say, arise, fiery ones, arise. And at the very end, he, pushed, he puts hashtag new breed rising. And I literally, I'm writing a book. And two days before he released this word on Facebook, two days before I wrote and all of a sudden the prophetic word of the Lord came over me while I was writing and he began to speak through me through my fingertips on the computer. And he said, there's a new breed of people of builders arising that carry God's heart. 
And I believe with everything in me that what we're doing here, and so sometimes it's like I have so much happening on the inside of me, I think, God, help me put it into English, what I'm seeing. Because, you know, the language of the Spirit is not English. It's not Hebrew. Some people say, man, if you can speak Hebrew, you can really get in touch with God. No, that's another language here on this earth. The language of the Spirit is heaven. The language of the realities of the kingdom of God are beyond what mere words can, can produce. This is, why, this is why all we can do is pray in the Spirit, hear from God, hear from heaven, see into the Spirit, and then begin to release things that God says are happening and what is going to happen. Of course, it always has to be in accordance with the Word of God. Amen. This is what keeps people from getting flaky. When they set it aside, they start to flake out. Amen. So we always want to go back to the Word. But we have to be able to see into the spirit to see what God is saying, what God is doing, and to know what God knows. You know, God knows things that we don't know. And if we're walking with him, God will reveal things to us that he knows that we don't know for the day and the hour that we're living in. And what I have come to the conclusion is that God is reforming what he first formed. If you're going to form something, it means that you created it, right? It means that you made it to start with. But if you're going to reform something, it's, it means that you're going to go and you're going to uh, remake the thing that was originally formed. And the church of Jesus is the most important if I can call it institution, that's not the right word. There's so many dynamics to his church, but I'll just call it church. His church is the most important thing on the face of the earth. His church are the ones that carry his glory. His church are the one, is the one that carries his nature, that carries the revelation of the gospel that shepherds people, that transforms nations. And when we think church, it's not just a building with four walls, but it's what he's placed inside of the people that gather together within the four walls. The church is the most powerful and potent thing. And Jesus said, and you're gonna hear me say this a lot, I've said it a lot and I'm gonna continue to say a lot because God's really driving this home. He said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus said, I will build, which means there's a process involved with building. But the deal is, is that the architect, the master architect, Jesus, laid out plans for what his church is supposed to be, what it's supposed to look like, what the building is supposed to represent. And we have to go and get his plans and go back and reform what he originally formed. It's not changing what he did, but it's changing what we're currently experiencing to go back and look like what he originally designed it to look like. Hallelujah. And I believe with everything in me, and what's true of me is true of you. God's called us to be reformers. I have these really radical things that, that I, I want to say because God uh, uh, has put them in me to say. And sometimes I just know things and I say, okay, God, when do you want me to release that? Uh, the, you know the guy that's going around in different uh, places and he's doing these worship set, uh, sets? Uh, Sean, he's got the long uh, red hair. I don't know how to say his last name, but that guy, you know who I'm talking about. Really powerful ministry he's got going on. Well, he was prophesying a few days ago in song and I was listening to it and he began to talk about that the church in this hour needs to start to prophesy and release things that God is saying to release, even if it seems ridiculous. And so I'm gonna to start to prophesy and say things even more outlandish than maybe what I have in the past because I know some things that God is saying. 
And I'm telling you this, he has called this church as a reforming church. We're supposed to be unique. We're supposed to run with his heart and we're not supposed to do things like everybody else does them. Amen. And so that's going to require us to do things and to say things and to act on things that are different than how everybody else is doing and saying and acting. And as long as God says, yes, that's what I want you to do, I'm fine with doing things that are unconventional. Because Jesus, you know, if you look at Jesus, he was the most normal Christian that ever walked the face of the earth. To be Christian means to be like Christ. He was the normal one. Everybody else are weirdos. But you know, when Jesus was doing what he was doing, when he was doing his ministry, people looked at him as being an outcast. He was an outcast. Many of them didn't want to have to do anything with what he said or what he was doing. But do you realize that his ministry changed? I mean, you do. His ministry changed the entire world. Everything that we're doing here is as a result of the fact that Jesus, the very first reformer, came in and, and formed things or reformed things, I guess, however you want to say it, but he set a standard for the church to live by. And what we've seen over the decades, over the centuries, over two millenniums, a thousand, right? Over two millenniums, we've seen the church have all kinds of other things put into it that don't properly reflect the original design of what God said his church is supposed to be. And I'm telling you that this church, with all of the humility and love in our heart, zero pride, because there's lots we don't know. But what we do know, with all the humility in our heart, we're going to march forward to help reform the body of Christ, to help reform his church. Amen. Just letting that, just throwing that out for a minute and letting it sink in. Because it doesn't take a genius to figure out that what's happening, what we're doing is not working. I mean, we, let me just see a show of hands. Who in here has some kind of vision in your heart to see the whole world change with the gospel of Jesus? You want to see the world touch every hand in here. If your hand's not up, it should be up. Amen. But basically every hand in here is, has gone up. Probably all the same for the ones online too. What we're doing is not working. So, what I've, I've come to the conclusion that we have to step back and say, okay, God, what are you telling us to do? What did you tell us to do? And what is true is that people will live, let me, let me say this better, people do live from the current revelation that they carry. You and I right now are a sum total of the current revelation that we have. You want to see growth and change and exponential things and do great exploits? Your revelation has to increase before you're going to see that. Everything always comes through revelation. This is why Paul prayed multiple times that our eyes would be open, that the church's eyes would be open, that we would see, we would know, we would have a spirit of, of wisdom, of revelation to where we would be able to partake and partner with what God sees and with what God says and with what God wants. Amen. So I believe that we're supposed to Figure out how to be the ones that hell could not overcome. Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So then I want to be able, and it's a prophetic statement, to be able to say that one day we're going to be able to look back and, and see that we really were the ones that hell could not overcome. The world and the hellacious ideals that are in the world didn't influence the church, but indeed the church influenced the people who had formerly identified with the world system. Now they identify with God's system. Now they identify with God's kingdom. But you have to start to see yourself as a reformer.
You have to start to plant that seed in your heart that God doesn't want me to do status quo. He wants me to do things outside of the box. This is why we're doing things like the campaign of influence. Do I think that the campaign of influence is going to change uh, the, the face of our community? No, not in and of itself, but it's part of it. It's something God wants us to do to step out to be faithful. You know, God watches to see if people will just be faithful with what he says for us to do. And when we're faithful with little, then he'll make us ruler over much. And if we're not faithful with the little things, why would he entrust us with the true riches? We want more people to come in. We want to reach more people. We want to disciple more people. But a good question to ask is, God, am I being faithful with the little that you've called me to right now? Am I willing to say yes to the Lord right now in every area of my life that you've asked me to be faithful to, that you've asked me to say yes in, that you've asked me to do this? Because if the answer is no, why would a... A, a, a wise owner, because God owns it all, right? Why would a wise owner entrust his stewards with more when they're not being faithful with the little he's already entrusted them with? The point is, is that God won't. But as we show ourselves faithful to him, then God will entrust us with more. The true riches. True riches isn't money. True riches isn't a facility. True riches are the hearts of people. True riches are the ones that God would give us to disciple. We want to see nations shaken. Let's be faithful with the little that he's, he's called us into. Amen. That could hit some of you. You're like, well, I don't feel like I've done the campaign of influence. We'll do it. All right. I want to be the ones that hell could not overcome. Hallelujah. So I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. And I have this, this message that's burning in me. So two weeks ago, I started talking about the ones hell could not overcome. And I had you turn to a couple different places. One of them was Nehemiah. And I'm going to get to Nehemiah in the, the days, the weeks to come. And talk about Nehemiah the builder because Nehemiah carried the, really the same heart that Jesus had. Or Jesus carried the same heart that Nehemiah had, which was really God's heart to build what God wanted. And so we're going to get there, but a couple of weeks ago, I started talking about something, and the, and the Lord said, I want you to stay on that, and I want you to expound on this, and I want the people to come into greater revelation of what it is that I'm talking about. And I, if you remember it in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, if we could pull Colossians 2 and verse 8 up on the screen here, and then we're going to go to Genesis, so just stay in Genesis. So Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, and it says, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So I'm going to elaborate on this a little bit more. I'm going to show you this more clearly and more accurately from the scriptures. But when we talk about the basic principles of the world, most of the circles that I grew up in and have listened to, whenever we hear about the world, we immediately gravitate towards, often because of the way we've been trained, is just to think about living in sin, living out in the world. They're living worldly. They're going to the bars. They're going to the dance clubs or they're, you know, whatever they're doing, they're out partying, they're being worldly. Well, that's one form of being worldly, but by, by and large, the vast majority of what I see in the New Testament when it talks about being involved with the world, it's not necessarily sin as it is the system that's in the world that humanity has been thrusted into. And unfortunately, the church, and this is part of Part of understanding uh, how to become the ones who hell, hell couldn't overcome, 
the church has been operating from the world system, which is devilish, and has not been operating from God's system, which is based on the identity that we have in him. And so we have been living from a wrong identity, not just individuals, but the church as a whole has been operating from an identity that's based in a world system. It's based in the devil's system. It's based on the elementary principles of the world, as that verse was talking about. He said, beware lest anyone cheat you. Does anyone in here want to be cheated? Let me ask you this. Has anyone in here, in here ever been cheated before? I've been cheated several times in my, I've lost a lot of money because I've been cheated. <laughs> Praise God. It doesn't feel good. I don't want to be cheated. You don't want to be cheated, but he says, be careful. Let's pull that back up there again briefly. Thank you. And, and, and again, he says here, he says, beware. So he's saying, be cautious or be careful. Lest anyone, that would mean a person, cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tra tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world. So I talked about, just very briefly to give a, an explanation of what I, I shared on a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how a basic principle of the world came from the garden whenever Adam and Eve partook of the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they automatically entered into two things, and that being shame, and they automatically knew they were naked and they became shameful, and then they entered into self-effort to try and cover up their shamefulness. Most of the church, now this is a strong statement. This is a really strong statement, but reformers are willing to say strong things. Most of the church, and when I say most, I mean like 99% of individuals operate from a place of shame and self-effort. Self-effort. Most people do. And most churches and look, I'm, I'm only ministering from the revelation that God has given me. I don't have it all figured out. I certainly have operated from this place uh, at times in my life, and I'm growing. Amen. So this is with no pride. This is with total humility that I'm saying these things. But I'm telling you what I believe is true. I would say that 90 to 95% of churches are set up on a system of shame in self-effort. Most of it's not intentional, but it capitalizes. The enemy has come in and has actually robbed people from their true identity in Christ. Has, they've capitalized on the fact that every human being deals with shame. And so they're fine with putting people into systems of works to try and get them to feel better about themselves and to get them to be and look better before God because they don't understand that relationship through God is, with God is through faith and it's not through their works. And most people would, you could say that and they'd be like, oh, I know it's based on trust in Jesus and not on my works. But the vast majority of churches are set up on religious systems. And religion has two elements to it. It has entertainment, and it has dead works. Entertainment is geared to please man. Dead works are geared to please God. Entertainment is geared to please men, and dead works are geared to please God. That is religion, and that is the devilish system that's in the world, because immediately when Adam and Eve sinned, 
they immediately started to do things to try to appease their own conscience. It was a form of entertainment, if you will. It was a form of trying to make themselves feel better about themselves. And ultimately, they wanted to be right before God. And that's why they did the things that they did instantly. It was intuitive. Nobody even told them to do it. They just knew because their eyes were opened up. They saw that they were naked and they had a revelation of good and evil. But the revelation of good and evil that they had, it wasn't, oh, this is good and this is bad. It was part of what it means to be good and and evil, if you go and look it up, is to be agreeable. So now all of a sudden, their eyes were opened up and it says that they ate of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. And knowledge is an awareness. You could say it's a revelation. It's an eye-opening thing. So instead of just being with God, it's hard to even say that they were doing good. They were just doing the way that God created them to do and to be. That's just who they were. So instead of just being with God and just being in the rightness that they had with God, now their eyes were opened up to where, and, and it actually was true in a sense because Satan said that the day that you eat of that, true, that tree, then you'll be like God knowing good and evil. See, God already understood because he's God. He already understood performance. But Adam and Eve didn't understand performance. They didn't have to perform. They were just with God. But when their eyes were opened up, immediately they were thrusted into a world of performance. Immediately they said, oh my gosh, look at me. I'm, I'm naked and, and, and I got to do something to cover this up. So they saw their fleshness, they saw their shame, they experienced those emotions, their conscience was defiled, and then they begin to work to cover that up. And we see this happening in the church on a greater level than what I can even, even begin to, to describe. Most of what happens with people in the church and with what takes place in the services and the people in the church is all geared to try to get God to be pleased with them and or to try and get people to be pleased with them. I'm going to preach hard here, I think, so we'll take a deep breath. (laughs) This is why services... This is why most services and most churches, and look, this is coming from a heart of love. You have to talk about things so we can see it, and then you have to begin to move to bring solutions. No judgment, just observation. Not being judgmental, but just seeing it. Most churches and most gatherings are geared. I know this because I know tons of pastors. And it's not coming from an evil heart, but it's coming from an unrenewed mind. Most of them gear their services to try to get people in, get them in the seats just long enough, (laughs) just long enough to give them just a little bit and to keep them happy. But we're not going to do anything that's going to make them feel uncomfortable because by golly, we want them to come back. And I want people to come back. That's not, if, if you don't want people to come back, you're probably not a very good pastor. <laughs> you know, you want people to come in. You want to feed them. You want to bless them. But at what expense? And by, by and large, it's been, let's entertain them to keep them feeling good so that they'll keep coming 
And so they'll keep filling the seats. They'll keep bringing their money. There's a lot of strange money stuff that goes on nowadays. More than you know. More than I know, I'm sure. People are driven by finances. They're driven by all kinds of things that would determine success to them. But I say, God, what do you determine as success? God's not interested in entertainment. He's not interested in me entertaining you. And I know that there's a, there's a level of coming in and being together and, and changing how we do things and breaking up and, and, and you can't sit in a service like this necessarily for all day long. Nobody wants to listen to me preach for hours on end. I do. I think I'm awesome. Amen. <laughs> Just kidding. Sometimes I say things like that and people don't really, they're like, oh my gosh, he really thinks a lot of himself. Actually, I think a lot of God in me. I really do. I think a lot of God in me, and I think a lot of God in you. He's awesome. But we, can, we, cannot, we cannot do what God wants and be concerned about appeasing people. Like, I drew a line in the sand years ago. I met with this pastor one time, and his church was just exploding. Like, overnight, they went from, like, 30 people to, like, 300 people. And I say overnight, it was probably a six-month period of time. In ministry, that's overnight. That's really fast. And I met with him. I said, man, what are you doing? What's going on? How are you doing this? The next words out of his mouth, absolutely, completely, I wanted to vomit on our lunch. It was so nasty. He said, well, he said, I don't use words like anointing. People don't understand words like that. He said, I use more relevant terms. And I thought, my God, there's nothing more relevant than the anointing of God. Now, if you're trying to keep people in the seats and not teach them anything, then yeah, I guess the anointing of God isn't relevant. But what are you after? You want the, you want the power of God? You want the glory of God? You want teaching and preaching that will challenge people and help them grow? And help them go from where they're at to where God wants them to be? If that's what you want, then you need the anointing. But if you're just looking to entertain people, just throw the anointing out. It doesn't matter. Make sure the songs are all just perfect. Make sure the timing of this and that and the other is just perfect. You see what I'm talking about here? And so the church has identified most right now, most modern day churches right now. And I'm saying with this with all the love in my heart, because I don't think they're doing it intentionally. They're just wrapped up in a system that's been there since the creation of, of sin in the garden. They've just been wrapped up in a, in, a, in a system, a worldly devilish system that has kept them in a place of trying to entertain. And what it does is that it feeds, it feeds people right where they're at with their flesh. And pastors are called to cause people to grow, to challenge them, to give them things that they wouldn't normally eat. It's supposed to take them from greener pastures to greener pastures. Amen. So we see this performance-based mentality. And what happens is that when people come underneath a pastor who has a performance-based mentality, the people in that church or underneath of that minister are only as valuable as the level of their performance. As soon as they quit performing well, they're tossed to the side. And when I talk about performance, it's, it has nothing to do usually with living holy or living right. 
It has to do with, are you singing the songs right? Are you crossing all of your, your T's and dotting all of your I's? Because I want the people to be really comfortable. And, and it, there's no concern with growing the people up underneath of you. It's all about, let's have this performance to where everything looks cookie cutter and fits into this mold so the people really, really like the experience that they have coming here. Am I making sense to you at all? And I'm, I'm not trying, again, I'm not trying to knock anybody else or their ministry or what they're doing. But what I'm saying is that we are going to run from that because that has religion written all over it. And when I say religion, I just simply mean that the devil's plan for the church. It's really what it is. So that's one element of performance is before men. And then the other element of, of, of performance is before God, where people get into doing things to try to make God be happy with them because of the performance that they have. And most of you in here, you've heard me preach on this enough over the years that you've got some kind of a revelation of what I'm saying, or maybe even a great revelation of what I'm saying. But there's not anything that we can do to perform at a high enough level for God to be pleased with us. It only comes through faith. Amen. I'm going to show you this a little bit more from this passage in Genesis. Are you with me? Genesis chapter 3. And I want to read a few verses here. And I'm, going to, I'm just going to take this, I'm going to just take this, slow today. And I'm going to take this slow in the weeks to come. And I'm going to, I'm going to read some things. I think this is one of the things we've lost in the church as well as the reading of scripture. Now you can get, you can get up and you can do it real religious like and just read a bunch of stuff and, and have no explanation or understanding to go along with it. And we'll, we'll bring some explanation and understanding. But then I've been in places to where they won't even crack the Bible. Or they won't even, you know, they'll read one little bitty verse and they take the whole thing out of context. I was just at a place yesterday and I heard a couple verses that had nothing to do with the context of what it was talking about. (laughs) You want to con people, that's what you do. If you take the text out of the context, all you're left with is, is a con. If you take the text, context, You take the text out, what are you left with? A con. It's a pretty pretty good picture. It works out pretty well like that. But it's true. You know, one of of our, our our biggest problems that we have is that we just don't know what the word says. We we just literally we don't we don't know what it's saying. And Part of it's because our filter's really off and we read it through a really messed up filter. The way you clean your filter is going to the word. Without your filter, other than God, I have a heart for you to speak to me. God, you speak to me. And here's the deal. When you're reading the scriptures, you should spend more time. Now, this is Kentology, all right? This is my opinion. But you should spend more time in the revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ than you should, which is in the New Testament, than you should all the, the old stuff. At least to start because if you try to see Jesus through the Old Testament without it being receiving the preaching and the teaching in the New Testament under that anointing, you're always going to be looking through a, a really not perfect picture. But when you go and you read the New Testament and it describes Jesus, it describes his ministry, it describes the gospel, then you can go back under the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament, and see all the pictures, and it just enhances the picture that you already have. But most people, they read the Old Testament and they read the New and they're like, my God, I don't know what this is saying. God is so confusing. Actually, he's the same God. He's always been the same. He's always loved people. We just need a stronger revelation of the gospel and then all the other things will really start to, to make sense. 
But I really believe this is what I would encourage you to do. You want a revelation of the gospel? As a matter of fact, if you want to know how important the gospel is to have a revelation of it, it's in, uh, I think it's Romans chapter 2, somewhere around there. And when I'm talking about the gospel, I'm not just talking about truth. Everything in the Bible is true, but not all of it's the gospel. Everything in the Bible is true, but not all of it is the gospel. And Paul said in Romans chapter 2, he said that the judgment, let me, let me read it, and then you're going to know better because I'm going to read it right. Romans 2, and let me find this here real quick. This is important. And I don't think I really know where it is, actually. Not exactly. Well, help me, Jesus. Where's that, where's that verse about judging things according to his gospel? Well, in anyways, it's verse 16 of chapter 2. I saw it right when you said it. Praise God. Thank you. Romans 2 and 16, it says, In that day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel, you want to know how important the gospel is? Things are going to be measured up according to Paul's gospel that he preached, which was the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty powerful language right there. You can relate to Job or you can relate to Jesus. You know, you can relate to people that lived underneath of an old covenant that was only a type and shadow and a picture of the real thing. But now that we have the real thing, there's no reason to go back and live underneath of something that's lesser than what we have now. So when you get what we have now, you get a revelation of what we have now, you can live at a higher level. Then you can go back and you can read Genesis through Malachi and you can start to see what was really given to us. It will make more sense. Because when that day comes... The, the secrets in the hearts of men, it's not going to be judged according to the law. It's not going to be judged according to the Old Testament prophets. It's going to be judged according to Paul's gospel is what he said right here, which is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Crazy important. But the reason that we've been so confused is that we just don't know what the Bible says. And I have a point with saying all this. I don't know what it is yet. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> is that we're going to take time and look at things in context of what it's saying. Because a lot of times we'll hear verses and we were young when we heard it. And we heard that verse and we built an entire doctrine or philosophy around that one verse. And that verse was completely taken out of the context with which it was written. And so we really don't even understand the point of it. Give you an example. Paul talks about in Galatians, he talks about the ones who had fallen from grace. Who in here has ever heard a message on falling from grace? You know what? I, hear, I still hear this all the time. People talk about, well, he's fallen from grace. Talking about the guy who's out living in the world. You go and read that in context, you know, out partying and doing things like that. You look at it in context. It has nothing to do with living in sin. Absolutely nothing. You know what it has to do with? Someone who's fallen from grace is someone who stopped trusting solely in Jesus and started trusting also in themselves. They don't, have a, they don't have a pure trust in the gospel of Jesus. They've mixed their works with what Jesus did. And so in that sense, they've fallen from grace. 
See, you can have, there are so many things in the scriptures that we've developed ideals about that have nothing to do with the passage that it's actually referring to. This is part of the entertainment culture that we've, we've grown up in and we've been a part of to where, like, you can't read more than four verses or people are going, <laughs> and I blame it on pastors for not stretching people. Read eight verses, read 10 verses, read 20 verses if you have to. If the word's the word and you need to make a point, make a point. But you got to use the word to be able to do it. Amen. All right. Side note, back on top topic here. Genesis chapter, we're going to go to chapter three and I want you to see this. And we're going to read a few verses here. How about that? Verse one, it says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So there he was trying to get her to question what God said. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now look at, look at here in verse 8. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And again, to reiterate this, what happened was that their eyes were open. They automatically entered into shame. You don't have to teach people to be shameful about their wrong. You don't have to teach people that. People inherently know that they are wrong. People inherently know that they are defiled, unrighteous, in and of themselves, not right with God. People automatically, intuitively know that. But religion, Satan's plan for the church has not helped this matter at all. Because it's told people that you're unrighteous, but then it says the way that you get right with God is through doing things to become right with God. When the reality is there's not enough that any of us could ever do to become right with God. It can only come through faith in him. It can only come through having relationship with him. It can't come any other way. You can't do enough right stuff for God to be pleased with you. But it's, intu it's intuitive. It's in every human being and it's not just about the actions, it's about the nature. Now listen to me, this is really important. Most people, and the way that we've been taught to pray is, and when we lead somebody to the Lord, it's, Lord, forgive them of their sins. Repeat after me, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Lord, forgive me of my sins. And right from the get-go, we've taught them about asking forgiveness for actions versus asking forgiveness for nature. Because it's not the individual actions that made us defiled before God and made us defiled before our, in our own eyes. And I'm not saying actions are important, but please follow me. It's the nature of human beings being born into sin that causes them to be defiled in terms of their conscience. 
And if you don't teach people the difference between their actions and their nature, they're going to work all their life trying to perfect their actions, not realizing that once they've been born again, their nature had already changed, and God deals with them based off of their nature, and they have right relationship with God because their nature has changed. And when you see the change in your nature, then you'll start to see manifestation outwardly. But if you only look at yourself as a worthless worm who's not received the righteousness of God and God hasn't changed, you'll always be looking at yourself down here when God sees you up here. And what religion has done is kept people down here saying you're really unrighteous, you're really worthless, you really need to do this, that, and the other. The reason you're not healed is because you did this thing wrong. The reason you're not, you're having, you're struggling financial, uh, financially is you've done A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And they list all of these problems in life and they're relating it to some performance of people that they're doing or they're not doing. And what they haven't taught them is that you've already been changed on the inside that God already has, you're already in right relationship with Jesus. Jesus and you need to trust him, stop looking at your performance and you'll start to see that thing change. And you're going to see your performance change because now you're living from a revelation of who you really are and not who you used to be. So religion has actually taken a condition in human beings. And again, religion is Satan's plan for the church and it has elaborated. It's magnified it. It's made it worse for people instead of better. Why? Because it's getting people to relate according to their performance, their outward actions, and not according to how God has really made them. And so instead of living at this high level in God, we've been living at a low level. Why? Because we've listened to the lie of the enemy. What lie? Exact, the exact same lie that was given in the garden. And actually, he doesn't even have to lie to people to start with. People, like I said, they're born automatically with an intuitive knowledge that they're wrong. Nobody had to tell you that you were wrong. This is why when I was seven years old, and people's experiences are different, I was seven years old, I cried out and said, God, I have to have you. I mean, did I, was I really that bad at seven? And Katie will tell you that I was the best out of the four. <laughs> I was a pretty good kid, actually, really was. I got spankings and everything like the rest of them, just not as many as the deal. So, anyways... But even at my best, I still needed God. I still had to put trust in Jesus. It's inside of every single human being that they are defiled. But the answer isn't telling people to perform better. The answer is telling people that Jesus already performed the best and good enough for everybody. You just have to put your trust in him. Let me show you this a little bit more. This is so powerful. And this is, this is again, this is what people have been sucked into. In verse 8 again, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. When you see yourself according to flesh and according to old man, according to performance, you are going to run from God. You will not run to him. You say, how do you know that so well? Because I did it for a long time. I wasn't out in the world like a lot of people were. I was just miserable on the inside because I didn't feel like I could relate to God because of the things that I did or said or whatever. I was, relate, I was still performance-based. And you know where I hid? I hid among the trees, just like Adam and Eve did. This was a prophetic picture of what humanity would be thrusted into, hiding among the trees. You know what trees represent? It's, it's wood, wood, hay, and stubble. 
come from trees. Trees are what man can do. They went and hid literally in the trees. That the, the picture that the Lord uses throughout the word of wood being representing something that man does that when it's laid on the altar, it's all burned up. Wow. They hid themselves in the trees. They hid themselves in their ability and in their work, which the Bible just calls dead works. I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down here. Man, this is awesome. This is really foundational for the things that I'm going to be sharing on. It's going to get, actually, to me, it doesn't get any better than this, but I'm going to show you some really cool things that the Lord showed me from the word. I'm going to give you some really awesome revelation in the weeks to come. It's really powerful. But this is foundational. Our identity has been messed up. The identity of the church has been in entertainment. It's been in dead works. Entertainment being performance before men, trying to get man to like you. They experienced this right from the very beginning. They immediately, their conscience became defiled and they didn't even like themselves, so they started to perform for themselves. And then they got into dead works. They made fig leaves and they covered themselves to get God to like them. I'm going to say this 48 different ways so that we all get it because it's so important. If you don't, if you don't see that this is the problem, and I'm going to show you more scripture verses here on this. If you don't see that this is the problem, you too could be deceived. This is why he said, be careful lest anyone cheat you, rob you, steal from you who you really are through the philosophy of, and the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to the Christ. You know what that says? Christ's principles are in opposition to basic world principles. Basic world principles say you're defiled, you're sinful, you're not right with God. The principle of Christ said, of course you are, but Jesus changed all that. Put your trust in Jesus and your conscience can be clean so you don't have to go back and put yourself as a worthless worm before God. You can stand boldly because that's where you're seated with him currently. Totally different mentality. But seeing where it started, understanding our past can help us understand really what Jesus did when he came in and he gave us a brand new man. We don't even have the old man anymore. I've heard some people say, oh, you know, how you doing? Well, I'm just struggling with the old man. Or are you born again? Yeah, but I'm struggling with the old man. Why are you carrying him around? He's been dead. He's been buried. Why did you dig him up and start carrying him around? That's not your identity anymore. I mean, literally, if we could see in the spirit and you could see people in the spirit, you would see these vibrant alive people carrying around a dead skeleton on their back because they're still trying to identify with something of old when God has given them something new to identify, but they, they continue to believe the lies of the enemy that they have to perform in order to be accepted. That's what the accuser does. He accuses you of things that Jesus has already justified you from. The difference between forgiveness and justification is huge. Forgiveness says, okay, you did it, but I'm going to forgive you. You ever, you ever done that before or had that done to you before? That's forgiveness. That's not a bad thing, but justification is way better. Justification is you go in and you come out as if you never did it before at all. You say, but I did do it. Stop looking at that. 
Look at what Jesus did and how Jesus has made you, and it will change the manifestation of your life. This is why, the, this, is why this message right here, I've preached this for years, but I believe I preach it better than I ever have and getting better at it all the time. But this message has been so attacked, and people always say, you're just giving people a license to sin. Are you saying we can just go live in sin? What I'm telling you, that's between you and God. You let God answer that question for you. But what I'm telling you is that if you will get a hold of what the gospel really produced, what Jesus really died to produce, it will change your entire life. It will change the way you look at people, and it will change the way you look at the Lord. And it will change how you know God already looks at you. You'll start to see yourself like he sees you and not see yourself like you have seen you. You know the difference between the old man and the new man? When I, had, uh, when I switched from having an Android and I got born again and I got an iPhone. <laughs> but actually, I probably like Androids better, but I'm not going to go into that. It's deep and wide and I'll get tomatoes thrown at me and whatever else. So get the hate mail. But I had that phone, that Android connected up to my Bluetooth speaker in my, in my truck. And I could get in and it would automatically, my, my, uh, not my speaker, but my stereo, would automatically detect my old phone. And it instantly, whatever sounds I would make from my phone would come through that Bluetooth speaker. But you know, when I got born again and I got my iPhone and I would get in my truck, that thing was searching, but it was searching for what was old and what was gone because I hadn't programmed it that it had something new and it needed to draw from what was new. So you know what I did? I went into the settings. I went into the central processing unit of my stereo and I said, you no longer, and I deleted my Android phone. Gone forever, never to be found. I deleted it and then I went in and I attached that stereo to my new iPhone and all of the blessedness of my new iPhone was able to be manifest through that central processing unit out into my speakers to where I could enjoy things from the new iPhone. You know the problem with people? Is that they have something new, but they haven't changed their thinking, and so they're still looking for the old instead of looking for the new that God's given them. They're trying to identify with something old instead of identifying with something new. Did you like that analogy? God gave that to me last night. I'm really proud of that. <laughs> Look here in verse 9. It says, And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Now look at this next verse. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? And you would have thought, if you didn't know what the next part says, don't look at it for a second. If you didn't know what the next part says, you would have thought God would have said, did Eve tell you? Did she tell you that you were naked? Did that snake tell you that you were naked? Did a giraffe tell you that you were naked? They're always looking down on people. Did a giraffe tell you that? Did a giraffe tell you you're naked? Because they're always looking down on people. You would have thought that the Lord would have said this, that, or the other told you you were naked. You know what he said? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? God knew instantly what had taken place. 
They ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They ate of the tree of the awareness of what is agreeable and what is not agreeable. Not of whether they're doing right or wrong in terms of our, not in terms of what is right or wrong, but whether they're doing right or wrong. And immediately they, they begin to try and justify themselves according to their works. This whole thing, Jesus has upended this entire thing and set it on its head. It's that the church hasn't been awakened to what Jesus has really done. We've been living from an old identity. We've been trying to perform, 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 perform. And Jesus came and said, the performance is over. The time of reformation has come. And you don't have to live defiled in your conscience anymore. You know, it says, God said, the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Let me ask you a question. Did they die physically that day? No. You know what death, death means? It means separation from. So they spiritually were separated from God. But here's what's interesting is that God still met with them. As a matter of fact, he had mercy on them. He came and killed animals and took their skins and covered their nakedness and covered their shame. It was the first picture of the cross. God still met with them. And people's, people are like, yeah, but he kicked them out of the garden. You know why he kicked them out of the garden? So they wouldn't eat of the tree of life and live forever because God knew for them to live forever and that state would be torture to them. He had mercy on them by not letting them eat of the tree of life anymore. Oh, Jesus. But now we've eaten of the tree of life. Because the state that we're in now, we just don't realize it. It's so incredible. It's so awesome. You know where we were separated from God from? And where Adam and Eve were? In their conscience. God didn't make a separation. I mean, they died spiritually, but God didn't make a separation. God didn't cast them out. God didn't kill them. God didn't destroy them. They were defiled in their conscience. Them partaking caused death to their conscience. They could not rightly stand before God anymore without having fear that he would see all of their flesh and nakedness and wrongness. They couldn't do it anymore. Their, their conscience was totally, completely destroyed. But we have hope now where we're at right now, at this point in history, because Jesus came and made a way for our conscience to not have to be defiled anymore. Listen, it's not just about what God did to make you right with him. It's about your conscience not being defiled anymore. Because if your conscience is defiled, you'll always come into worship and say, God, you know what I did. You know that I thought that thought. You know that I did that thing. And you know what? You might be doing things and thinking things that you shouldn't be doing and thinking. But you know how you get past those things? You know how you live holier? Is you start to draw from the reality of who you are. You start to draw from the reality of the fact that you're a son. You're a daughter who's seated with him. And it's not because of your works. It's because of Jesus' works. It's not because you did everything right. It's because he did everything right. And you simply said, God, I need you. And he said, yes, I've been longing for you. Come and sit with me. Come and sit at my, at, at my table and feast on what I've got for you. And it has nothing to do with your ability whatsoever. And the greater revelation we have of that, the greater manifestation of holiness and righteousness that we'll have in our life. We've had people, prophets, screaming for years, the church has got to live holy. 
evangelists standing on their pulpits sweating. You got to live holy. I agree, we need to live holy. But you can't live holy in and of yourself. You have to have God's help to live holy. And the only way you can experience God's best is to start to identify, hook up your, your new phone. Get your mind hooked up to the new thing God gave you and you'll start to manifest it out in your life. Maybe not all overnight, but you will start to do it. We've been defiled in terms of our conscience. We need our conscience to be made right. How do we do that? Our conscience is part of our, is part of our soul. It's part of our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's all part of that. We have to begin to renew it according to what is true. And we do that by understanding the spirit of God, that's been, the eternal spirit that's been given to us, knowing the fact that he lives with us, he's on the inside of us, he always is with us, and he will never leave us and never forsake us. Once you get a revelation of that, that'll really get next to you. Because you can look back at the last year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, I've done some really stupid things. And I'm not even supposed to say stupid in church, but there's no other word to say for the, some of the things that I've done. But I can look back and I go, God, you were with me. Oh, you were, in fact, you were with me back there and you knew I was going to do the thing here and you're still with me here. Man, that's awesome. Let me show you this in Hebrews. Everybody say, I can take a couple more minutes of this. This, this is powerful. I don't need to be entertained. Say, I don't need to be entertained. I need truth to set me free. Oh, Jesus. I want to show you two things from Hebrews. They go together really fast. Hebrews chapter 6. And in verse 1. And then we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm going to show you a couple things here real quick. It says, therefore, because remember, we talked about dead works. Here's the deal. There's three kinds of works that are listed in the Bible. Listen to me very quick. I've got to say this really quick. There's three kinds of works. There's evil works. Evil works are works that people do that are evil, right? All of the things that were, were just turn on the news and you'll see all the evil works going on, right? So there's the evil things that people do. And then there are good works, which the Bible says that we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Good works are good things that people do, and the motivation comes from a place of having already been blessed and loved and saved and redeemed by God, and you do something just because you want to bless God. It's a fruit of your salvation, not a root of your salvation. Dead works are good in nature. They can look identical to good works. Dead works can look identical to good works, but the motivation is not right. The motivation is to get God to do something based off the works that you have done. Make sense? Those are the three types of works that are listed in the Bible. So you can keep that in mind as we read this. Verse 1 of chapter Hebrews chapter 6. It says, therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. There's five doctrines that are listed there. This is the first one. This is the first elementary doctrine that is talking about not laying a foundation again of, but most of the church has absolutely no understanding of this doctrine. It's repentance from dead works and faith toward God. What we've been hearing for years, I've always heard, Dead works and evil works basically as being the same thing. Or at least that's how it's been labeled to me. And they say, you got to repent from dead works. Cut your 
whoremongering and butcher drinking and blah, 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 whatever it is, right? We've heard these things over the whatever, the span of whatever, our life. In church, we've heard these things. It's not what this is talking about at all. This is saying the very first thing, and we can, if we went in the book of Acts, we could see that they, they proved this out over and over and over. They told people to repent, but it wasn't necessarily from doing evil things. It was repenting from trusting in themselves because dead works is trust. It's faith in, in yourself. When you're doing something saying, God, now you'll be pleased with me. What you're doing is you're trusting in your work and you're not trusting in God. He's saying repentance from dead works and faith toward God. It's two thoughts that go together. When we very first get saved, it comes on the heels of God. I can't do it, but Jesus, you can. I'm not putting faith in me. I'm putting faith in you. Because again, the human condition says, I got to work, 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 work. I got to perform in order to be right. When the new covenant says, all you have to do is put faith in and then you'll be right. Because Jesus did the work that was necessary. Hebrews chapter nine, look at this. Oh my gosh. Oh, Jesus. I love this. Mm. Hebrews 9 and verse 9. Now, this is talking about all of the priestly things that they would do, just in context, because I don't have time to read a bunch more. It says in verse 9, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the what? The conscience. What's the conscience? It's your ability to stand before God. The things that they did over and over and over and over, it didn't cleanse their conscience. It reminded their conscience of the fact that they were defiled before God and their actions could never make them undefiled before God. <laughs> oh my God, this is why people, they get in, they get into, and, and I'm fine with looking at types and shadows to go, oh, look what Jesus did. But people, sometimes they want to go back and become a Jew. And I'm like, why do you want to become a Jew? What they, what they had, and do the Jewish customs, what they had, what they did was lesser than what Jesus gave us. Now, I'm not against the Jews. I love the Jews. I love blessing Israel. I pray for them, all of that kind of stuff. But I don't want to try to relate to God like they related to God. I want to relate to God through Jesus. Because what they did didn't set them free in regards to their conscience because it was always a reminder of the fact that they were not really truly redeemed just yet. But look what it says in verse 10. Concerned only with foods and drinks and various washings and fleshly ordinances and posed until the time of reformation. You know what the time of reformation was? The big J. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is coming on the scene. I don't know where that came from. Verse 11, look at this. It says, but Christ, the great reformer, came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats, and calves, but with his own blood, he entered in the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. You say, how long am I redeemed? Is it until I mess up again? No, it's eternal redemption. What God's given you lasts from the time you get born again all the way throughout eternity. If it wasn't eternal, it wouldn't say eternal. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying the flesh, how much more? Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You want to serve God? Let the spirit of God cleanse your conscience from doing things to try to appease God anymore. Let the work be totally done and over from this day forward. No more performance. Now you perform and you do good works because of what you've 
what Jesus has done, not to try to get him to do something because of what you've done. Oh, man. Look at this in Colossians. I'm going to show you one more verse. I have three minutes. I have to show you this one more verse. Jesus. Colossians chapter 2. Let me show you this. We're going to read verse 8, and then we're going to jump to verse 16. Because verse 8 was one of our main texts we were looking at with this. Sometimes you need to preach and get people fired up, but sometimes you just need to sit and explain things so that people understand. Does anybody understand anything better after hearing with what I've said? Great. We have three people. That's wonderful. Hallelujah. Who in here understands things a little bit better than what they did when they came in? Praise God. It says, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. What's the basic principle of the world? You're defiled and you have to do something to to be right. God never said that, but that was man that automatically thought that. Remember, God said, who told you you were naked? They never gave an answer. It was Adam's conscience that told him that he was naked. And the devil has come in and he's plagued churches for years, getting people to believe, you know, they got to do this and they got to do this and they got to do this. They got to perform. They got to all these things. And has left people high and dry with no real power because religion will never have the power of God in it. Performance-based Christians will never experience God's power because they're trusting in themselves and not trusting in him. Look here in verse 16. Can you hang with me? Say, I don't need to be entertained. I need to be taught the truth. Let's let the word speak for itself. It says, so let no one judge you. Oh my gosh, I want to read the verses before. I have to read the verses before. Go back to verse 14. Look at this. Oh, this is just too amazing. Look at this. And this is talking about what Jesus did. It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What's he talking about? He's, some people say he was talking about the law. Yeah, he was talking about the, the actual Levitical law, but more than that, he was talking about what was written against them on their hearts that told them that they were defiled. How do I know that? Because Colossae was a Gentile, primarily a Gentile church. He's writing to people that were not under the law, but they were underneath of a law of their conscience that says that they're defiled before God. Jesus wiped all of the handwriting of requirements away. Everything that was in the garden that said, you did this wrong, and so you got to do this right. Everything in church that people would say, you did this wrong, so now you have to do this thing to be right with God. Jesus wiped away every ounce of requirements, not only in the Levitical law. I'm not saying the law is bad. The law is good. But you don't have to perform according to the law to be right with God, and you don't have to perform in regards to your conscience in order to be right with God. Jesus did it all. And the devil came, and he's, and he's, and he's made all those accusations against us and Jesus nailed all of them to the cross, wiping out all of the handwriting of requirements that were against us. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it. Jesus' work brought all the power and victory to us and totally uh, destroyed the enemy. Now listen to verse 16. It says, so let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. So the question is, why would people go back? And again, I'm not saying it's wrong to draw pictures with doing things. I know people that celebrate, you know, the, uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles and things like that because they're going and they're wanting to draw that picture in honor with Jesus. And I get that. But there's a lot of people that they think that they're gaining something from God from going back underneath of it. How can you get more out of a shadow of something than, than you can with the substance? You can't. 
That's the whole point. If you came, there's lights right here. If you came behind me and you stood right there and you're like, oh, I just love your shadow. Your shadow is just so amazing. It's just so awesome. Your shadow is just incredible. I would turn around and say, are you nuts? Look, you've got me right here. I can hug you. I can love you. I can bless you. I'll come to your house and eat with you for dinner. My shadow won't do anything for you. So people that are going back under the old stuff, all they're doing is just getting a shadow. They're not getting the real thing. Let no one cheat you. There's that word cheating. I don't want people to cheat me. I don't want to be cheated by people that are full of the devil. There's some preachers that are full of the devil, man. Because they're telling people, you got a da 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 I had, and I won't say who it is, but I had. No, I'm not going to say that. Forget it. I'll get in too much trouble. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, I heard you, Holy Ghost. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I honor you, sir. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject, subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. You want to know why Paul was so lit on fire with the God? I mean, you can read it. I mean, man, you read the book of Galatians, and it's like he just takes the gloves off and he just beats them to a pulp. And he says, who's bewitched you? Let that person be accursed. And let, matter of fact, let me say it again. Let them be doubly accursed. Because they're trying to tell you that you need to do something to be right with God when Jesus was enough for you to be right with God. How dare that person say anything? And you could just feel the passion of God coming from the same one that wrote this. Don't let anyone cheat you. I'm going to finish with this. Don't let you cheat you. Don't let your conscience cheat you thinking you have to perform. And don't misunderstand me. There's a level of faithfulness. There's a level of, of good works. There's a level of doing things that we're called to do that. We'll get into that in the days to come. But there's not anything you can do in order to get from God more than what you already have. Man. I got to quit. Man, I wish we had like five hours. I could light this place up more than it's already lit up. Thank you, Jesus. But you get what I'm, I'm putting down here? Whew, man. Man, you let this get next to you? Jesus, this is foundational. This is the foundation of your life. If you don't have a revelation of the gospel, you don't have the revelation that Jesus died for. I'm going to say this, and then we're out of here. And he closed the book. And no matter... I. I no matter how many times I've preached this, I'll always have people say, well, I, he, just, he just thinks we can live in sin and it won't matter. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Your sin will destroy you. If you're living in sin, stop doing that. But the way you stop doing that, 
The way you stop doing whatever it is that you're doing that you shouldn't be doing isn't by trying. It's by trusting. And it's by seeing how he's made you. And when you see who you really are, you won't live in the slum with the pigs anymore. You'd be like the prodigal son. You'd go, man, at least the servants in my father's house, at least they got more than this. And when he got back, he realized he wasn't a servant. He was still a son. You see where you're seated with Christ? You won't do the stuff you're doing anymore. You get a revelation of it, you'd be like, what am I? Why would I do this? Why would I say this? It's ridiculous. It's way, that's way beneath me. I'm not going to do that anymore. It'll just, it'll change you. Revelation is supposed to work from the inside out, not from the outside in. Complete revelation will give you complete application, which will give you complete results. Partial revelation will give you partial application, which will give you partial results. We should be striving for a greater and more complete revelation of who and what God says we are and what we have in him and the relationship we have with him and the results will match up better. We'll have a full manifestation. Amen? Amen. Love you. Bless you. Take this. Come back next week because you're going to have part three and the week after that, part four and so on to the end of the year and it's going to be amazing. Amen. You're going to be transformed. Hallelujah. Love you. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we're making a difference, visit ociperryville.com.